Welcome to First Check, a podcast so you can learn how to be the next great venture capitalist or angel investor. You've seen the Ubers, Googles, and Pindos of the world, the 10x to 100x returns, and you want to know how you can get in on the action. As a partner at Co-Founders Capital, host of First Check, Tim McLaughlin, has invested over $43 million in startups. And on this podcast, he's going to share with you what works and what doesn't, so you can be ready to write your first check. Today's guest is Charlie Banks, co-founder and managing director at Venture South, which operates angel investment groups and funds comprised of more than 300 accredited investors across the Southeast. Their investment portfolio includes Spiffy, 6AM City, Babies, and dozens more. Today on the show, Charlie talks about the value of being in a portfolio company rather than being a solo investor, taking the community approach to investing in the Southeast, and the feeling he got from writing his first check. Here's the host of First Check, Tim McLaughlin. How you doing today, Charlie? Good, man. How are you, Tim? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So... Listen, I think a lot of our audience would be excited to hear about Venture South. And I go on your website and I see angel investors, I see groups, I see all these different terms, and I just got to hear it from you straight. So tell us about Venture South and what it is. Yeah, man. So Venture South is a little bit of a unique animal in the early stage game. We started back in 2008 as a group in Greenville, South Carolina, that Got together to aggregate some capital to support the entrepreneurs just in that community. But, you know, we quickly realized that we were having to syndicate uh, with other groups and high net worth individuals to write a large enough check to make an impact on a company. So, you know, we knew there was a lot of latent capital on the sidelines in South Carolina and across the Southeast. So we felt that if we could take what we built in Greenville and replicate that in other markets at the time, just in South Carolina, we could free up some of this latent capital write larger checks, you know, attract better deals to the region, you know, and then create this flywheel effect once we start exiting some companies. So that's what we did. You know, we replicated what we built in Greenville and other markets and quickly realized that we had hit this vein of opportunity or vein of desire, if you will, to create this outside of South Carolina. So we quickly rebranded to Venture South and have since created a network of community-based angel groups that we've developed and continue to manage in 16 locations across the Southeast. We've got about uh, a little over 350 members, and we've invested at this point a little over $50 million in almost 80 companies now. That's great. I think that one of the things maybe some angel investors underestimate early on is financial risk and ability to get follow-on capital and write checks large enough and protect those investments. It sounds like you guys had a great strategy to mitigate those risks. And then when I look at it, I mean, deploying over $50 million from an angel group that started really in Greenville to this network is just incredibly impressive. So congrats on that. Thanks, man. Thanks. We're, we're really proud to be a part of the Southeast ecosystem with, with folks like you. And there's, there's a lot of others that are doing some great things. So you know, I think what we've, what we've all built in the Southeast is a foundation that you know, we're going to be talking about for years to come. So let's, let's go back to the beginning. So you got it together with a couple of friends. You're looking to deploy some capital. Tell me, what, what was exciting to you about getting into the angel investment scene? And do you remember that first check that you wrote? Yeah, you know, I do. So, you know, me personally, I was, I don't, I don't like the term, but, you know, kind of a serial entrepreneur. And 
you know, with varying degrees of success and just massive, awesome failures. So, you know, at a, at a fairly early age, I realized, you know, the importance of risk and the importance of building uh, portfolios, understanding portfolio math to try to really mitigate that risk. Because, you know, as folks get educated on the asset class, they really start understanding just how important it is to build, you know, to build in those risk mitigators and, and, and really to build that portfolio to where that you're going to, you know, you're going to have some winners, but you're definitely going to have some losers. That feeling you get when you first write that first check, it's, it's excitement. You know, most angel investors start in this because they're just pumped up about what this entrepreneur is doing. You know, it's a passion at that point. It's a passionate decision. It's buying the Doritos at the checkout line, you know, because you're hungry. So that's why and how angel investors get, get into this game. But what folks really start to understand as they get more educated, as they lose their shirt, as they you know, understand that the passion wanes, they really start understanding that this does need, in fact, to be a part of a larger portfolio play. It's really interesting. A few things that when we talk to high net worth individuals that are investors in our fund, you know, they've probably made a couple angel investments on the side before, but we talked to them about two things, really portfolio diversification, which you touched on, but also a fund management or a fund management like mindset where you have enough capital to protect those investments. That's right. And when I say protect it, it could be two, three, four, sometimes seven or eight follow on investments into those companies. How how do you talk to your group, your members about that? You know, when, when we talk to folks that have done this before as lone rangers, the first thing they tell us is like you just mentioned that they, they didn't really understand how important it was to continue to support a portfolio company. Not, that's not just with capital either. That's with expertise. That's with contacts. That's with, you know, spheres of influence. That's all of the above. And if folks like you and, and Venture South and others that are doing good, good things in the, in, the, in the ecosystem can show the value of continuing to support and how they do it and having these high touch models like we all do, that's important. And they quickly understand the value in that. But, you know, the ones that, unless they just get lucky, the ones that don't have that focus on continuing to support the portfolio companies, those are the ones that typically, they lose out on it. And, and, and the reality is, is that we don't, you know, in the Southeast, when we're historically underserved from a capital standpoint, we don't really have many at-bats. So we've got to take the at-bats we have, we've got to take them really serious. And we've got to make sure that we're doing everything in our power to drive liquidity because that is the name of the game. And the ones that aren't supported, unless they, as I mentioned, unless they get lucky, you know, they're going to lose their shirt and, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to do it again. And I think a lot of angel investors, folks that are new to it, they think about that follow on capital in terms of if the company is not doing well, right? right. If the company is really struggling, then they'll have to come out of pocket for another check, but that's not always the case. It's also if the company is doing incredibly well yeah. and you want to participate on an inside round of funding or they take advantage of your pro rata rights that might be built into those term sheets. So do you have Venture South, new folks to your network, or are you guys educating them on, on that? What's the process for getting involved with Venture South? Yeah, so we're doing a lot of that. I mean, we, you know, we take an education first approach and philosophy to, to a lot of what we do. So, I mean, it goes all the way to you know, board service, you know, as we're taking, as we're taking seats on these early stage company boards, it's how do we communicate the information needed back to the investor base? 
And how do we call that network to make, to make sure we, we are fully and adequately supporting the companies moving forward? But like you mentioned, you know, the, the pro rata rights and the following rounds, that's important. And oftentimes, and more times than not, really, it's, it's when the company's doing well and they just need, they need some capital to continue to grow or to make another top-notch hire or to, you know, do it, you know, a big PR drive or something that you can continue to support that company. So yeah, that's super important. And, you know, we take that education very seriously and, and try to build that in everything we do. Yeah. And just as a point of reference for our listeners, with our first fund at Co-Founders Capital, we had a $12 million fund and 50% of that money went into new investments. And about 50% of it was for reserve for follow-on investments. When we raised our second fund, we realized we probably should have reserved more capital for the companies as they grow. So in our second fund, which is a $31 million fund, we invested, we're going to probably invest about a third into new deals and about two thirds follow on into those companies that are need a little help or the ones that are performing really well. We're very similar in any given year. We'll, you know, I think 2019, for example, we did 28 different closings. Wow. Um, 10 of those were new companies. The rest were following rounds. 28 closings is an example of why it's beneficial to be part of a network, part of a fund where the deal sourcing, the infrastructure is set up in a way that you can take advantage of these opportunities because access to deals, deal flow is going to be something that's going to, you know, outpunch its class from a returns perspective. Yeah, for sure. Do you know how many deals Venture South looked at in 2019? Wow. No, not off the cuff, but I mean, that would be, it'd be interesting shot to, to go back and really see. I mean, I can tell you, I can give you kind of an, a somewhat off the cuff. I mean, we, we look at 20 to 30 deals a month. We narrow that down to a handful that we then bring into a formal process. And of that handful on a monthly basis, we'll invest in, in one, sometimes two through that. So, I mean, that lends itself and, you know, we don't meet every month. We meet roughly 10 times a year from a screening standpoint. So that, that lends itself to about where, where, where we landed in 2019 of, you know, 10 new deals, but the rest is follow on. So at any given point, I think we have 11 open rounds in the portfolio right now. So to your point on um, the benefit of being a part of a network is that you come to a, a group like Venture South and you can build a portfolio of these type companies immediately. And that's, it's so important. You really, you know, you really can't stress the importance of building the portfolio and understanding portfolio math enough. So when I think of different angel groups or networks, I look at kind of the differences in them. And so for some of our listeners, angel groups, a lot of times refer to groups that where people invest their capital or angel funds, where people will invest their capital. And then the group as a decision makes makes a choice on whether or not everyone or that fund is investing in the company. Where a lot of times angel networks, each individual member has the opportunity to participate or not participate on a given deal. How does Venture South work? Yeah. So we have two ways that investors engage with us. So we we, we call it an active model and a passive model. So our active model is where individual investors, they pay an annual membership fee to be a member of Venture South. Once you're a member of Venture South, you at that point pick and choose your own investments. So of the 28, for example, we did last year, you know, you can opt in to any of them or not do any of them. You know, our minimum is $5,000 in any given deal. So you can choose to put $5,000, you know, in a couple of deals, you can, and there's no really no maximum. Then what we do is then we aggregate that capital across everybody that says yes to any given deal. So I think our last deal, we had, you know, almost 60 individuals 
that have, you know, raised their hand and said, I'd like to put X amount of capital in this deal. So we aggregate that capital to make the investment in the company. So that's the active side. Now we then have a passive side. It's more of a traditional fund model, but it acts more like a, an index fund. So the fund indexes across what all of the active investors have chosen to invest in. So the shorter answer is the best of both worlds. Right. And honestly, so we're on fund four is what we're investing out of right now. Uh, we call them our, our sidecar funds, it's the industry term. And, you know, when, when we raised fund one, our plan and our thesis was that we were just trying to get the people that definitely were not going to join an, any kind of group or network, but yet still liked what we were doing. They wanted the exposure. They wanted to build a portfolio of these type companies, but they were never going to join. So that was entirely passive. Fun too, you know, some of the members started saying, you know, I missed this meeting and Venture South invested in this company. And because I, I missed it, I chose to say no. And, you know, we had a big exit and, I, you know, my buddy that sits next to me, he had a nice return and, and I didn't because I didn't come to the meeting. So we had some of the members start saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to do both. And then fun three rolls around and we had a lot of members that said, man, I don't want to miss out on these, on these exits. So I'm going to do both. And I'm going to pick and choose some that I think are interesting but, I, you know, if I say no, I know I'll have a slice of the pie uh, and then fund four that remain the same. So it's you're right. I mean, we we do give both. We give folks options to do both. Got it. So try to think back 2008. You're getting this started. You're looking at your first deal through Venture South, but you've been an entrepreneur before. When you were doing diligence before you made an investment, do you think that you were looking at it more as an entrepreneur or more as an investor? I still find myself looking at it as an entrepreneur, you know, so there, there's three managing directors with, with Venture South. I was the entrepreneur, you know, I've, I've raised money, I've lost money, I've exited, I've, you know, I've done some cool things and had some big, awesome failures as an entrepreneur. And then, you know, the other end of the spectrum, you've got Matt, who's been a, an angel group operator for a long time and served on the board of the ACA. He's done some amazing educational things to the ACA. ACA. Then you've got Paul in the middle, who's you know, he's kind of the, the, the private equity guy. You know, he, he's done some really, really awesome stuff in the in, you know, public markets, things like that. So you've got a really unique skill set across the three of us. So each of us look at it, look at it a bit different still. And I think we'll probably always do that way. But when I first kind of bridged the, you know, walked the bridge from a, a full-time entrepreneur to a full-time investor, you know, I certainly looked at it and thought, well, what is, what's important to the entrepreneur? How can we bridge that gap between the investor and the entrepreneur a little bit better not that we can get in the deal, but more so can we, how can we diligence this so we can understand it better? So, yeah, I mean, I think depending on your, your backgrounds and your history and, and, and the successes and failures you have, you certainly have a vantage point that investors bring to how they personally invest. I don't think that's going to change. I think it's important, actually. I think it's really important. I think that one of the things that you mentioned was bringing some different skill sets and looking at things in a different way. And I know at co-founders, we have three former entrepreneurs that are managing that fund. And so what we have to always check ourselves with is that we're not the entrepreneurs that are running this company. Yes, mm -hmm. it's an exciting opportunity, but you, you really invest in the team. And as much advice and introductions and everything you can do as an investor or a board member or a, a formal advisor to the companies, it's still about the team that you're investing in and whether or not they're the entrepreneurs to pull this off. That's right. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yep. So as you've gone through the years, I think one of the things you've probably seen change and we've already seen change too, is you talked about access to capital 
so that you were putting in enough money into these companies to mitigate kind of that financial risk and getting partnerships with other funds. You know, you and I are on the phone all the time talking about, you know, deals and ways that we can co-invest together. As you've gone through this journey in the Southeast, what's been the biggest changes from check size, collaboration, you know, that you've seen and where do you think we can go from here? You know, over the last handful of years, you've really started to see these regions take shape. You know, you've kind of got Greenville, you've got Greenville, South Carolina, you've got the Triangle, you've got Charleston, Atlanta, you know, Richmond, Virginia, you've got Nashville, Knoxville, you've got these regions that are back when, you know, incubators and accelerators just started taking off. Everybody wanted to have an incubator accelerator. And, you know, the federal government and the state governments got together and said, let's fund some of these incubators and accelerators. And they did just that. You know, the reality is none of them really worked. But, and I say that, I say that kind of jokingly. I mean, they all worked because what the byproduct of a lot of it was awareness of what it means to build scalable companies. Whereas before, you know, we were just kind of taking flyers. You know, looking back, even before I was, you know, an investor or even an entrepreneur, the ones that were successful were, you know, the seasoned, the heavily seasoned entrepreneurs that had built and scaled and sold numerous companies. And those are the ones that were continuing to have success. You didn't have many companies that were, you know, being built out of college entrepreneurship classes or incubators, accelerators, or things like that. But now you do have that. So what that created, regardless of those incubators, accelerators are still around, I think that it has created a, an environment that people understand what it takes to build and scale and sell and raise raise capital in, in this type of environment. And that's been a really fun thing to watch. And I say, so I think the next iteration of those are going to be somewhat of a consolidation of efforts. You know, you'll see regions come together and say, how can we as a you know, greater Charleston support the entrepreneurship ecosystem as opposed to you know, the city of Mount Pleasant, for example? I know Greenville in the upstate of South Carolina is a perfect example. The triangle may even be a better example of that. You know, the folks at CED and things like that are, are just doing great, great work. So I think that's one thing. Some other changes have certainly been in a, you know, a byproduct of the shark tank world for good or for good or for worse. You know, everybody thinks they can be an entrepreneur that they have a good idea. We see a lot of really, really great ideas, but we also see a lot of really dumb ideas that they thought they could be entrepreneurs and, you know, they don't have a good idea. They're, the market's not there for whatever they're doing. So that's been fun to watch. But that, on the other end of that, I think that the Shark Tank environment has also made it cool to invest in startups. I got to say, I feel yeah. a little bit cooler since we had a former <laughs> guest of First Check podcast here. John Hayes was in the portfolio, raised capital, went on Shark Tank, raised money from Cuban, and then had a successful exit. So awesome. I, I, I got a little cool that came off me as a byproduct of that, I think. Yeah. Or at least I tell myself <laughs> that to make myself feel better. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that shark, the, the Shark Tank byproduct, it, that's a real phenomenon that certainly we, I'm, I'm sure other regions have experienced that as well, but it's been fun to watch. Well, I think the Shark Tank thing might trick some angel investors to, you know, the five minute questions that they need to fire at these entrepreneurs and ask yeah. to try and figure out whether or not they make a deal. And one of the things we, we learned is that they're actually talking to them for an hour and a half or two hours oh, uh, yeah. and then they just foil it oh, down yeah. and then do months of diligence. It's made, made for TV investing. It's kind of how, how we refer to it is that it's not real at all. So anybody listening, I would highly suggest you be an angel investor, but not do it like how those guys are doing it on TV. So, Charlie, I'm going to tell you one of the things that I think I've seen change, and, and you can feel free to agree or disagree with me, but 
I think five or six years ago, if there was an angel that wanted to write a check into a company, a good company where there was other interests and other investors coming in, it was still fairly easy. But you have funds like Co-Founders Capital, you have groups like Venture South that are writing bigger checks and getting to the point where we can invest capital that, you know, we can probably invest sometimes more capital than what the entrepreneur needs or wants to take at that time. And more and more, I'm seeing angel investors that are kind of flying solo get left out of deals. And all of a sudden, access to deal flow and access into a specific deal is becoming a real thing in the Southeast. What do you think? I agree. I agree entirely. I mean, you and I have had many conversations about just that. I don't think we are definitely not at the point where we have to like heavily compete for deal flow, but we are getting to the point where there are groups and funds like both of ours that are, you know, they've grown up some, they understand what, how to do this and they treat it like a business accordingly. You're right. That's been a fun phenomenon to watch too, is that in the last couple of years, we've seen increasingly, you know, pressure is not the right word, but I'd say increasing desire and in, in getting in some of these quote unquote hotter deals. And that's a fun thing for all of us to be a part of. Yeah. And you and I, for the first time had a deal recently this past year where there just wasn't room. We were both interested in it and there just yeah. wasn't room for both of us. When it was going on, it was funny. It's like, man, I don't know if I'm going to piss Tim off on this. Like, <laughs> like, There's actually two term sheets on this thing. And I don't know if the entrepreneur is playing this or, or not. But in, in that case, that certainly wasn't the, the situation with the entrepreneur. It was just a case of a really good, a good deal. And, and we somewhat had to compete for it. And I'm glad that you and I have the relationship we do that we could just call up and be like, Hey man, you know, this is what we're doing. Are we, are we cool? <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the whole point is to have that, be able to pick up the phone and have those calls for decades to come. Really? But the yeah. thing that the entrepreneurs I think need to realize is they're not going to play us in, in that we can't pick up the phone. We're a long way from away from that. And I hope that never is the case. Yeah. So you've been doing this a while. You've been an entrepreneur. When when you start thinking back on deals that worked uh, or didn't work, you can take it either direction. What are some of the characteristics you see about maybe the deal and then maybe the entrepreneur, if it worked or didn't work, now that you can look back? Yeah. So one that we talk about often is convertible notes. You know, and if you go onto our, our blog, we write extensively on convertible notes. Very simply, we don't like them. And I think entrepreneurs don't quite understand the impact that convertible notes have on cap tables. It just muddies the water way more than it should. So we're big, big proponents of price rounds early on, you know, get the capital in, build out a clean cap table so that the, the next investors are not having to rely on valuations that or take part in valuations that have all these conversions. So that's, you know, that's one thing that we've seen that is still a bit frustrating because, you know, convertible notes are, are popular for entrepreneurs, but to the investors that understand the Im implications on cap tables, it's, it's still a frustrating dynamic that we're having to deal with. But the, the things that go well, you know, back to your point earlier about betting on the team, you know, that is by far the most important element of this. And the entrepreneurs that, can, that walk into the pitch and give the investors the feeling of these guys are going to do whatever it takes to be successful, that's a gut feel that the investors won't and shouldn't ever look over. And they should always trust their gut on that. So that, that's been the ones that we've had successes is we look back and say, what did we, you know, what were we thinking when we wrote the check? 
in all cases, the thought process was this guy or girl is going to be successful. Yeah. On the convertible notes piece, you know, I think it's going to be a challenge for some of our, you know, listeners that want to be angel investors into these companies when there's not an open price round, the easy thing to, and they're not, and they want to write a $10,000, $20,000 check into a company. They're not going to be able to price around, mm-hmm. right? They're not going to say, Hey, I'm going to take X percent of equity. It's, it's more expensive to do it. You're not going to do it every time you take a small check. So their options are either join a group that has some buying power and can actually go do the work to price around or put it in on a convertible note, right? A smaller convertible note. But to your point, we, we've seen that same problem before where, you know, notes when they convert can have a very negative effect on not only the future investor if, when they come in and muddy the waters, like you said, but the entrepreneur as well, if, if there's some steep discounts and right. all that to those terms. Yeah, you're you're right. You're right. That's, you know, convertible notes have their place. We have certainly done our fair share of convertible notes, but they, they have a place in the cap table, but those early, you know, the early rounds of capital are not always the best place to do those. You know, to your point though, I mean, if you're talking to a first time investor and they're excited about, you know, filling the blank deal, but the only option they have is a convertible note, you know, I'm not saying never do it. I'm just saying it's a lot better when you're investing in a via price round. Which means you're joining some other group that's coming in and probably doing the work. Or, or being an LP in a fund as opposed to, you know, just a, a one-off investor. Right. So Venture South's grown a lot since 2008. You talked about the number of cities, getting over $50 million in invested capital. So what, what do the next 10 years bring? There's a whole lot of latent capital on the sidelines still in the Southeast. You know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of money that's, that's not being put in the asset class. So we're going to continue to grow into different markets. You know, we're going to continue to have a, an education first philosophy where we're, you know, we want to teach people how to do this effectively and efficiently more so than just providing access to a professionally curated pipeline of of early stage companies. So I, you know, I think there's going to be, you know, there's an opportunity for us to grow into other markets because of this newfound zoom zoom world we're all in. You know, I think, there is an opportunity for us and others to provide access to investors outside the Southeast that want, this is arguably better price rounds in the Southeast because there's not the capital that we just talked about. I mean, there's not the competition for capital like we just talked about. So I think there's opportunities for us to expand geographies a bit and in, into in, in who we provide opportunities for. And yeah, I mean, as we grow, we're obviously going to be writing larger checks and, and hopefully that continues to attract deals that want to come into the Southeast. So I think you'll see, you'll see opportunities for companies to, to move to the Southeast to set up shop. And I think I hope us and you guys will continue to have an impact there as well. We've now moved four companies to the triangle from out of state or entrepreneurs, right? Or yeah. entrepreneurs that are relocated because of it. And I think we're going to keep seeing that the yeah. cost of living is better. And so just because the cost of living is better and, and wages are what they are, that means cost of customer acquisition is less if you have right. to pay your sales team less. So mm-hmm. the metrics work. One thing you mentioned, and, and this might be a tip for, for some of our angel investors on the call, is we get deals over the transom all the time, as I know you do. You open your inbox in the morning and it's you know mass emails that you've been getting about the next best company. I yeah. can't miss opportunity. 
And early on, it's easy to get excited about those and then you start to get numb to them. But one of the one of the tips that I always look at is if this is a Silicon Valley company or Boston or New York company and they can't get folks in their own network, in their own backyard to put some capital in. It's a good question to ask why. And so when you say, you know, capital in the Southeast or other investors coming here, it's more other investors are coming here to find those companies, right? It's not companies that are coming here to look for. Exactly. Look for investors if they're not planning on relocating to the area. Yeah, we see it all the time. Yeah, we see it all the time. And, you know, when a new member for Venture South joins, you know, it, they might move into the Southeast and they might have been a, a member or an LP somewhere else. And they say, well, you know, their first reaction is, wow, I didn't realize that this caliber of group or network or fund is here. And, you know, so that always makes us proud. And so I think I think we'll see more of that. And that's something that we're we should all be proud of. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So here, here we go. I'm going to ask you a hypothetical here. Okay. You are personally going to make an angel investment, which you do all the time. You meet with 10 companies for the first time and you have to write a hundred thousand dollar check into one of the 10, but you only get to ask one question to each company. What is the question you ask? I love that question. The first and only question I would ask is very simply Tell me how you failed in the past and how you overcame that failure. To me, you know, I mean, failure is so important. And the entrepreneurs that have hustled their, their way through failures are the ones that I want to personally bet on. So, yeah, that, my question and for that $100,000 would be, tell me about your failures and how you overcame them. I think that's such a great answer, especially because of the answers and your description of yourself as we've gone through this conversation has been you didn't shy away from saying I had some incredible failures mm-hmm. is how I think that you described it. Yeah. And someone that's been a successful entrepreneur invested in companies that have worked, haven't worked and become a successful investor. I think you realize how important that question is. I use the term awesome failure all the awesome time. Awesome failure. Yeah. yeah. I love talking about failure. I mean, entrepreneurs are inherently unbelievably passionate and they're going to fail. And the ones that have failed and overcome are the ones that we want to back. So Charlie, let me ask you, if there's an angel investor out there that's listening to this and, you know, I, I already talked to them and they may or may not be interested in investing in co-founders capital fund three down the line, but maybe they do that and they want to join Venture South. So if they want to join, how do they get a hold of you? VentureSouth.vc, V is in venture, C is in capital is probably our, our, the best place. Also really active on Twitter. So you can look us up on Twitter and take part in our long diatribes on convertible notes and everything else. But no, our Twitter handle and our, we're also on LinkedIn too. So you can find us on LinkedIn pretty easily, but I'd start with VentureSouth.vc and we'd love to get anybody, anybody involved in what we're doing. And they're, if they're in our fund and they're in Venture South, there's a good chance that they're going to be in a deal from both of those sides one day, because we're going to do a deal together here soon, right? That's right. Absolutely. All right, Charlie, thanks for coming on. Do that, man. That was Tim McLaughlin with Charlie Banks co-founder and managing director at Venture South. If you're interested in being involved in their funds, visit VentureSouth.vc. Also, for more upcoming news on this podcast and an upcoming course from Tim, sign up for our newsletter at firstcheckpodcast.com. And if you like this show, please subscribe, rate, and review on any podcast app, including the one you're listening to right now. And find us on Instagram or Twitter at firstcheckpod. This podcast is a production of EarFluence.
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on First Check. Hey, everyone. This is Jason Gilligan, CEO of EarFluence, which produces this podcast. And if you made it this far, I'm guessing you like this podcast. So I would love for you to check out another podcast that we produce. Welcome to the Hustle & Gather podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Dana. We're sisters and serial entrepreneurs. We started our first business with a Craigslist ad, planning a wedding for $125 each. We built a floral business and then shut it down because we kind of hated it. We built our venue on sweat, caffeine, and maxed out credit cards. But we scaled to 16 team members and we can't imagine working for anyone else. We drink and we swear. And we talk about all the bullshit that goes into running a business. Tune in to Hustle & Gather on any podcast app or visit hustleandgather.com. 